0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm John Tesh, here with Give Gerard. Hello, everybody. Today is a very exciting episode brought to you by our friends at One Eight Hundred Flowers. We love these guys, and since we've gotten to know them, we've got to know their CEO. And so I had recently. You had,
1: you love you love their CEO.
0: I do. Well, first of all, he's from Garden City, and he's still in Garden City, which is where I grew up. But also, uh, I, he's one of those guys like uh, Denzel Washington who got a whole bunch of success and then just reached back and helped people, and he's mm-hmm. helping kids and cancer hospitals, and he's giving back, and that's just really, you know, he's handed the reins over to his son now. We're talking about Jim McCann, CEO of 1-800-Flowers.
1: But he's so much more than that. Yeah, he, so much more.
0: He, he is. I mean, he's just, uh, it's, listen, we love decoding people, looking at their processes, and uh, and we found, we found some really good stuff, and you're going to hear it in this interview, and the real reason behind it is that I wanted to start doing things uh, a little differently, Gib and I are always reading books about how great companies are started, how, uh, how they get through difficult storms. And so we want to start sharing some of the discussions we've had with people about the processes that make successful people tick. It's sort of like saying to somebody, oh, or just saying to Bill Gates, tell me how you what, what do you do for the first four hours after you wake up, yeah. you know, thinking that you're going to be him or, um, or Warren Buffett. Uh, so we're starting with, with Jim, and one of the really remarkable things about him is that he's taken the flower business from a storefront operation into the uh, vanguard, as it were, of the 21st century. And so when I sat down with him and did a remote interview, I had no idea uh, how deep his uh, expertise and especially my favorite word, perseverance, went. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, we can talk about it on the other, on the other side of the interview Gib. but uh, this is a guy I can't wait for you to spend more time with him because he has a big piece
1: of the Mets. <laughs>
2: and well,
0: knowing, and I told him, I said, uh, he says, hey, if you ever need tickets, I said, no, but Gibb is going to want some I, tickets. Look,
1: when the Dodgers go to play the Mets, because they're both in the National League as opposed to the Yankees, I will, and, and if we're in New York, I will be I will be hitting him up for owner's box tickets. You better believe it.
0: Well, and and you, what you really should do, and this is what he takes his grandkids to this, so you can masquerade as a grandkid. Uh, he, he, uh, what, what do you call it? Spring training.
1: Oh, it's a, that's one of those bucket list things. And the Dodgers are right there in Arizona, and I've never gone. So if, if this guy is the owner and he's going to spring training, that's that's the uh, that's the plane I want to get on. Yeah. Uh, Jim, he just referred to you as this guy. So uh,
0: <laughs> so uh, here we go with uh, the interview with uh, Jim McCann. Let's let's start with uh, some of the some of the questions that you guys uh, hit us with, I, and I would love to know, and then we'll go back because what part of of, of what this would probably be a two part uh, two part airing part of what I want to talk to you about is uh, about entrepreneurship too, because there's so many people who would love to know, you know, what your uh, as
2: we become more and more a gig economy, it's more and more relevant to the topic.
0: Right, right. For sure. Um, so what, what are the, what are the new projects that are right at the top of your list right now for, for 1-800-Flowers?
2: Well, uh, for, for us, uh, you know, we're in the business of helping people express themselves and connect to the important folks in their lives. And, uh, the the one we're working on with you that you've helped us out with so much with is on the top of our list. And my role now as a chairman with Chris, my younger brother, Chris, running the company and doing a really good job at it. It gives me and the few people I work with an opportunity to play around the edges, to do things that aren't operational, uh, but uh, can help us get deeper into a relationship with our customers. So uh, celebrating a life sympathy campaign that you've helped us with is high on our list. And we have another one that we've been cooking up. I wonder what you'd think of this. We own a wonderful uh, company called Harry and David and Harry and David is a terrific uh, brand uh, authentic as can be farm the table. We grow our own product. We make all our own product and the products are terrific. And we also own a collection of clubs. So we own the fruit of the month club and we've recently launched the vegetable at a month club and we have the chocolate of the month club all under the Harry and David banner. So uh, we've been looking at what's going on socially, and you see some interesting things like uh, a company called uh, uh, Dinner and Blanc, and uh, uh, they're like a mob, a flash mob kind of come together for a dinner, and everybody wears white, you know, fun kinds of things. So looking at those social phenomenons, we developed an idea called Harry and David Dinner of the Month. Uh, so, what we're going to do there is uh, first Tuesday of the month, we're going to have simultaneous dinners around the country in different cities where uh, where chefs and restaurants will host us and we'll invite our customers, and uh, they'll, they'll feature on their menu uh, the fruit of the month, our vegetable of the month, and we'll gather people in these settings. And we'd expect that in uh, 24 months or so, we'll have 500 simultaneous dinners going on wow. around the country. The first one is tomorrow night. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's something we've been spending time on. It's fun. It's all about engaging with your customers, using social media, to have the kind of relationship with our customers that we used to have when we had uh, uh, 40 retail customers who made up all of our business on our, our first store in Manhattan. So that's the uh-huh. k- kinds of things that are top of the list for us. The, the social engagement, social intimacy kind of things that you can do now with the new technologies
0: well every time we do uh, right around the holidays every time we do a, a giveaway on our facebook page for harry and david it just uh it, it just blows up and people will send me these side messages like hey can you make this happen for me so <laughs> we, we love Well, <laughs> but i love that i love that idea of the uh, simultaneous yeah. dinners that's awesome
2: well, you know, especially now when you have Instagram and Snapchat and people can uh, it, it's a it's an excuse for social engagement in person and of course online.
0: You know, uh, we have been working with you on the on your initiative um, for uh, you know ways to express sympathy and uh, you know, before you and I even even met. Betsy Chase, our producer and, and lead researcher, we we're always talking about what, what we want to do on our radio show is is address the topics that people just don't feel comfortable you know, talking about, and that's, that's really one of the things, right? That that is so awkward where a, a friend, especially you know, especially at, at my age now, you know, one of my big social events, unfortunately, is going to uh, you know, going to, to the funerals. Uh, but this yeah. really, but it's not just uh, family members and uh, and and, and friends, um, boy, I mean, there's, there's been this big, this, this big rush to find ways to express sympathy, sympathy for people who even lose animals, and uh, and we, we get so many remarks about that. You know, what, what should I do when my when my friend, you know, loses an animal that they've been with for you know, for for 15 months? Have you, have you been addressing that 15 years? Excuse me.
2: Indeed, and the way it came to my attention was similar, uh, John. In that it wasn't front and center on my radar screen as a need that's something we need to address but uh melissa meredith and i sat down with our we have a high performance uh, high performance group we uh, we identify every year and we put them through across the company all the different brands and we put them through a year-long development program and we sat with them at the end of the program just a, a few months ago and uh we had a whole bunch of topics we wanted to talk about one of them was to engage them in our program Uh, celebrating a life or sympathy program to get their ideas on it. And someone in that, uh, that luncheon session said, you know, we're not addressing people who lose pets. Right. And it became the biggest topic of that day because all of them chimed in with how important that is. And indeed, if you've had a pet for several years, uh, you grow close. There is genuine pain when that loss occurs. Uh, I remembered from when I was a kid and certainly people were had current stories and and roar emotions around this. So I think you're right. And I think we've underperformed in terms of uh, that dialogue and then the, the product of that dialogue in terms of how to help people to understand how to help people around them when they experience that kind of a loss.
0: So when somebody is going through, and whether it's a whether it's a human being or it's even a pet that's been with you for, for 15 years, we're, we're really talking about the overall feeling of of grief, and and when you address that uh, as a as a company, and I know you personally, knowing that it's not about hey, here's a here's a category where we can make some money, you know, just based on on on, on your history and that, that I know about you and and your altruistic um, way of living your life, uh, it it's not really about uh, specifically about sending flowers. It's a, it, it's it's about actually doing something, isn't it? Just and and that that not only helps the person who's receiving right, but it also can really speak to you because because we get in that in that, in that uh, situation where it's like I want to do something, and then all of a sudden you know a day goes by and you haven't done anything and you feel terrible about it so you I like the fact that you're giving people you know opportunities to get involved and to speak into other people's lives when they're going through grief, but it's but it's more than just flowers it's there, there are other opportunities right
2: uh, don't don't get me wrong we I'm a florist I'd like to sell a lot of a lot more flowers, but our attitude and approach that we've evolved to over the many years that we've been doing this, John, is if, if we earn our way into our customers consideration set by serving them, by, uh, by orchestrating the conversation that we do, by uh, bringing up difficult to discuss topics, by bringing good ideas from other customers, from your listeners, from you, uh, from uh, Betsy, any ideas that are helpful, our feeling is if we craft an environment where we're serving our public, our customers, and we're bringing rich and good ideas to them, when flowers are appropriate, we think that we'll earn some, uh, due consideration. Uh, so that's, that's our approach. So when we, uh, when we talk about a holiday coming up, when we talk about you know, Mother's Day, when, we're, when we go to market uh, with our marketing campaign around Mother's Day, you'll see that what we do is we encourage people to think about all the moms in their life that they could recognize and make feel special. And that could be with a handwritten note. That could be with a telephone call. That could be saying uh, something to someone in the office who you admire, who you think does an extraordinary job uh, as a mother in what may be challenging circumstances and what circumstances as a mother, isn't it challenging? If we encourage you to do those things, for those people in your life where a gift from Harry and David or a gift from Cheryl's cookies or one of our chocolate gifts or our flower gifts are appropriate, I I think people will give us Uh, will think favorably of us as being the the, uh, appropriate provider. But if we encourage you, and there's a selfish motivation here, if we encourage you to reach out to 12 or 13 or 14 people, daughters, sisters who are moms, your mom who's a mom, your grandmom, uh, 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 two people in the office you work with, a friend, and tell them, I think you're a terrific mom, and you do that with a handwritten note, or you come to our site and and, uh, do it graphically in in the template that we give you, and you print it out and you hand it to them, they're going to feel like a million bucks. And if we help you to have more and better relationships, well, guess what? There's more birthdays and more anniversaries that we could help you with.
0: Right. I love the fact that, uh, that on your, your website, uh, there is a place for people to, to get real advice from experts, from, uh, from psychologists, psychotherapists on, on how to deal with somebody, whether it's yourself or somebody who's, who's grieving. You know, when I went through, my um, two and a half year cancer battle and came out on the other side, I got a real look inside uh, people who I thought I knew really well and, and people who I barely had a relationship with. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy personally, so I don't do it to anybody else, is when some, somebody will contact me and say, let me know if there's anything I can do. You know, that's that, that's we've identified if, that if you, gives you another job to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you folks are watching this, you pick up anything from 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 me and from Jim, don't do that. You know, just do something. And, uh, yeah. and I love the fact that you
2: made that possible for people, even if it's simply uh, jotting them a, a text and say, Hey, I, uh, I, saw, I saw something today reminded me of you. Just wanted to let you know you're in my thoughts.
0: Right, exactly. Or I can come by at 2 or 6 p.m. or just show up. I mean, it's, it's hard these days yep. when you show up, some they think they are being robbed, you know? But <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just do something. I think that we have a lot of people, including myself, who are, who are big fans of, of uh, entrepreneurship. And I would love to know the story of, of how you ended up uh, starting, founding 1-800-Flowers
2: uh i'll i'll, uh, I'll condense it uh, in terms of entrepreneurship first of all when i started 1-800-Flowers john uh not too terribly far from where you grew up mileage wise you know i started i grew up in queens and uh our first shop was in manhattan uh but back then the, the word entrepreneur really wasn't wasn't in use uh i i certainly didn't know how to spell it i think i understood what it meant but i'm, I'm not sure that i did but it's certainly become in vogue in, in these many years since then and I think that's a, a, an awfully good thing and certainly back when I started in business it wasn't the ecosystem, the ecosystem to so to speak of of helping people to be in business for themselves. there wasn't venture capitalists uh, to the degree that there are today or private equity firms banks didn't have the the, the right to, uh, frame of mind about how to lend and help bank uh, new businesses small businesses so the wonderful magic of the of the u.s economy over the last 30 years, in my opinion, has been this entrepreneurial surge and certainly uh, been contagious throughout the world now. And I think that's going to offer a great uh, many rewards, not only to the individuals involved, but to the the byproducts of these businesses and to the uh, uh, geopolitical stability that I think that will offer. Uh, and I think he's already seen some great evidence of that. Uh, certainly in China, you see some wonderful things happening in the Middle East now, all around tech entrepreneurism. Certainly Israel is on fire with uh, startups and, and tech startups. So I think it's going to have some good benefits. In my case, I think there are a few different kinds of entrepreneurs. Uh, there's the, the genetic entrepreneur, the kid you knew in Garden City who had four paper routes. He had a lawnmower service. You know, he just had nine things going on. Those Genetics. Uh, then there was the Silver Spoon Entrepreneurs. They went to the right schools. They they went to HBS and learned how to be an entrepreneur and what financing was and business plans and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and dad, by the way, uh, 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 turned him on to his buddy who helped him raise his Series A round. So those are the, the Silver Spoons. They were born on the right path to understand and have the connections. And then there's a growing pool of people, I think, like me, who were accidental entrepreneurs. In, in my case, uh, I didn't start out to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't a good student. I didn't uh, take advantage of the opportunities. The neighborhood I grew up in, our, our role models were, uh, were uh, uh, public service people, firemen, policemen. There were a few people who'd put on a suit and go into the city, which was for us, Manhattan. And you know, they worked in an office, but you weren't quite sure what they did when they got there. So I always thought I'd uh, be a policeman. And uh, we, of course we had shopkeepers too, local, local small business people. Uh, but along the way, uh, uh, being an Irish Catholic kid from South Queens, I had a genetic requirement to be a bartender. And in so doing, uh, I, uh, one of my buddies in the first local place I worked in, uh, worked in this home for boys. And every time he'd come in, I'd ask him about it. And uh, so by accident, he invited me to come to his uh, group home that he ran, uh, which was in a pretty tough neighborhood, uh, have dinner with the guys, ask me after dinner, do you think you'd like to give this a try? I said, yeah, yeah, Bob, I think I would. He threw me the key and said, okay, you're on duty tom- tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. That was the accident that was my first and only other career uh, besides uh, being a florist was uh, working in the social services, uh, running a, a home for boys. I loved it. I lived in a home for a couple of years. I ran uh, all the, the homes and I went into the administration of the home. It was a great experience for me, but my first career, John, however, working in a not-for-profit world in the social services, you don't get paid very much money. Right, right. Uh, Mary Lou and I married very young. We started a family very young. Back to bartending to supplement my income, working Friday and Saturday nights on the Upper East Side of New York, one of my customers there, on the flower shop across the street. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, uh, on a Saturday night, uh, after I sorted him his third scotch and soda, uh, he said, you know, I'm going to be selling that flower shop. I have a new business idea. I said, flower shop, retail, you work with customers in a nice time. I said to him, "Uh, uh, uh, Nick, do you mind if I come work there a couple of Saturday afternoons before I come to work at the bar? He said, no, why don't you? But he said, why? I said, maybe I'm a buyer. So I did that for a few Saturdays. I loved it. I thought it was a great way to interact with people. I could understand the business. And I just uh, sold the building that I had fixed up and and, uh, rehabilitated in a tough neighborhood. So I had 10 grand in profit. I used that ten grand to buy the flower shop, so my career was an accident, and uh, that was the only the second real career kind of job I had, but they overlapped. I kept my, home, uh, my job running the home for boys for probably another six or eight years after that so that I could build a business and not just be a florist. Right. How, I how, think how, a good how, florist, how but my brother would argue.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. How old are you at this point?
2: 24. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And, uh, and, where, and where did it go from there?
2: Well, I, again, I kept my full time job at the home so that I knew I could pay the, the, you know, get, put the groceries on the table for the, for, for Mary and the kids. And uh, anything I did in the business, I was able to put right back into it. I, I wanted to build a business. So six months after the first shop, I opened the second shop and averaged about every six months then for the next 10 years, I'd open up a shop or two. Wound up with quite a few shops. And then 10 years in, We decided to change the name of the company to 1-800-Flowers. We thought that was a much better way to market our company. And then our our primary access modality switched from front doors of retail shops, which we still had, but now it was primarily the telephone. So what we say is, uh, John, that we've gone through, well, now it's approaching five ways. First wave for us was retail source. Second wave I just described was making the 1-800 number the primary access modality. Uh, the third wave was uh, this younger punk brother of mine, 10 years younger, comes to work for me out of university, and uh, he's a tech guy, and he's always playing around with the new technology. So he got us online very early in the 90s on, on the internet. 95, uh, Netscape came along with a browser that had organized the internet, wow, and it began to matter. So that was a third wave. Fourth wave for us was uh, everything about social and mobile. And now I, I think we're experiencing the fifth wave which is all about artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence, and uh, what my brother calls uh, conversational commerce. Everything is voice activated now. I'm sure you and Alexa are quite intimate. Right. Uh, But we're, we're all using voice as a primary way to access almost anything we want now.
0: Sure. Now what one of the one of the common bonds of entrepreneurs, and, and I've definitely had this if you well when I started the radio show, there was a conversation uh, 20 years ago, there was a conversation I had with my business manager, which was basically, and he was trying to protect me. I just don't see this. It's, I don't think this is gonna work. You can't self-syndicate, you can't do that. Uh, it's happened, it happened to me with my music career too. And I think with a lot of entrepreneurs, there's always somebody who says, ah, just stay in your stay where you are, stay safe and so being you know having stores right having flower store being a florist that's a that's a safe place for a, a lot of people. Did you get resistance did you have advice that like i just described from from uh from folks around you when you wanted to uh to transition into the one eight hundred flowers model
2: john very much uh especially we had uh, it was a struggle uh for a lot of years it uh You know, couldn't pay the bills. It was it was tough going, but we kept going. So when when you put that all at risk uh, to change your business plan almost completely, there are very few people in any of our universes who are going to say go for it, because the safe thing to do is be conservative. And no one ever gets you know lawyers, bankers, friends, family. They're not going to say hey go for the moon here. The safest thing to do is say hey go slow, be careful, and that's just our nature. Uh, to to uh, to to be cautious right. uh, but but you do have to you do have to have the strength of your own convictions and sometimes bite your lip like you did and say, "No, no, no, I think we can self self syndicate here and uh, I know no one's done it before, but I haven't tried it before, right. so I think you have to you have to have the strength of your own convictions, you have to understand people mean well when they are telling you it won't work, but you also have to seek out the two or three or four people in your life, either as examples or people you have relationships with, who, you know, the Ray Crocs of this world, the Wayne Heisingers of this world, who didn't listen to the, the naysayers and went for it.
0: Now, is there advice uh, from this experience that we're talking about right now, is there advice that you can, that you can pull out of this for other folks who are, who are thinking about uh, an entrepreneurial type of life?
2: Well, I, I think, John, it's, it's becoming pervasive now uh, that uh, you know with the Uberfication of the world uh, the the tools and, uh, and availability of people to be able to own their own way uh, earn their own way in life whether they're delivering uh, driving uh, for uber or they're delivering for for uh, uh, instacart they're they're, uh, they're they're going to be it's so easy to have a job i uh, we had a tough time. Uh, one of the many tough times we've had in our business was back in the uh, 08, 09, 10. You may have heard about it. There was this recession thing that went on. Well, that was the first time and the only time in 40 years that our sales went backward one year and we had to do layoffs and we laid off a couple hundred people and that was painful. Uh, and what we did was uh, we took a team in our HR department and we said, we want you to set up an office that just keeps track of these 200 people and extends to them any courtesy, any service we can to help them get employed. And one guy who made it onto the list of people laid off had been with us quite a while here in the Long Island office, and uh, he uh, he was making a, a, a good living, and uh, but he became a real pain in the neck. He was bitter. He was a bully around the office. He just didn't like people. Just didn't like him. He was always complaining about how little he made and he deserved more. So somehow his name wound up on the list when we were determining, uh, when we had to call some staff to, to stay around, uh, and his name it onto the list. Well, you know, we, that team in HR called him. We had a job here paying $50,000. I can't work for $50,000. I have mortgage. I have taxes. I have kids. I've worked so much more. And then we had another job. This one's worth 70. I can't take that. And he was bitter, and he was bitter even when we were trying to help him. Fast forward three years, my wife and I are shopping in a supermarket out by our beach house on the eastern end of Long Island, and he comes running up behind me and gives me a bear hug from behind. And I said, oh, it's good to see you. How you doing? He goes, boy, I must have been a real pain in the neck around your <laughs> job. I said, well, you were. He said, I didn't realize how easy it was to have a job. He said, if I had two bad weeks, I still got my paycheck. He said, and if I wanted to take vacation, I took vacation. And I had a clear head while I was on vacation. And if I had to take a couple of days off because my kids were starting school, he says, I, I did and life went on. He says, now I have my own business. I borrowed money from my in-laws and from my parents and I bought this, uh, this route business. And he said, and I'm, I'm killing myself. He said, and if I don't get up, we don't eat. And if one of my guys doesn't show up to drive the truck, I got to figure out how I get that truck back and forth. He says, I never realized how easy it was to have a job. So I think you're right that so many more people will be in a, self employment situation. And I think the biggest need they're gonna have that that I see is that need for that social connection that you have when you're in a workplace, when you're in a career, when you're in a job, you have twenty or so people on your staff. You have that. But so many people are gonna feel alone. Yeah. And not have a social network and framework that I think that's gonna be one of the biggest but unspoken about challenges for people who work in this new Freelance slash gig economy. Uh,
0: other than the um, the book that you yourself have uh, have written, uh, have there been books, whether they're biographies or or uh, or um, uh, y- y- personal development books that you've read that have really spoken to you through the years?
2: There there are uh, several people and books that uh, have had a, a big impact on me. I've been lucky enough to. Uh, uh, to have some great uh, great relationships, mentor-type relationships. Uh, one that jumps to mind is, uh, I mentioned already, Wayne Heisinger. Wayne is the most, one of the most prolific entrepreneurs the world has ever seen. He created five different Fortune 500 companies from scratch, and I had the occasion to get to meet him uh, some years ago and, and got friendly with him and had the opportunity to spend some time with him, dragged my brother Chris or my son James down to, to visit uh, Wayne in Florida. And he had a huge impact on my life and how I think about things. And the biggest lesson I took away from Wayne was he took as many body blows as anybody else, probably a lot more because he tried to do a lot more things. But his thing was he had a great sense of humor, John. When he'd make a mistake, he'd laugh at himself. He'd tell that story all the time. He recovered quickly. So he didn't suffer from, oh, I'll never do that again. Oh, what an idiot I am. He he made those mistakes, but he got over it. He says, "Okay, how do I get around this? How do we get on with life?" And I, I I tell you, I think about him and his lessons all the time because that's the biggest lesson. The the people I see who are successful recover quickly. They get over it, they get on with it, and they somehow make a joke out of that mistake they made, so it becomes a life lesson not only for them but for everybody around them.
0: Yeah, that's been a struggle for me. You know, one one of my favorite books, it's all, all about this, is John Maxwell's Failing Forward. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is which is exactly what you''re we're talking about when you were starting uh Jim a, a, as an entrepreneur and you're starting as a, uh, a as a florist and also running the, the the group home, how did your wife speak into your life what was, uh, what were the things she was saying to you and what
2: impact did that have on you well i I think mistakes made there too the good news is uh, I married a saint and so coming up uh, this year, 45 years of uh, one mistake after the other, she's, she's still hanging around. Uh, thank God. The, uh, we, we tried to work together in the beginning. Uh, that, was, that was not good. Uh, I, it's tough enough to be around me a, a couple hours a day, to be around me a lot more than that is really painful. So, uh, so we realized that we're gonna separate, that she's gonna focus on the family and free me up to go do other things. And I didn't come home and talk a lot about the pain of the day or about the problem I was confronting. We tried to keep that separate. Now, in the early years, she had no choice because uh, we decided to deliver 24 hour a day service before anyone else did. Wow. So I'd work at the home for boys, drive into Manhattan, work at the shop, close it up at about 9.30 or so, drive home, it took about 45 minutes to an hour, and I transfer the phones when I close the shop. So there she is with three kids and the phone rings and she's gotta make believe she's in a flower shop being able to take an order. That was a long hour for her before I got home, uh, and then the phone would ring through the night. And we always had order pads on the <laughs> tables. car. so we—it uh, was great training for when the kids were teenagers because we learned to wake up in the middle of the night, answer the phone, and sound like we might have been awake.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, what, one of my uh, f- favorite books—it's a really old book—and uh, it's been <clears throat> uh, it's been repeated and and republished is Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich. And I got really yeah. excited about that book. Uh, Decades ago, I thought, "Oh man, I want to, I want to make a whole bunch of money," you know. And so I'm reading this book, and, and a lot of the book is about the great, the best way to 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 get rich, to be a millionaire, and then also the guy who wrote uh, "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff," um, yeah, interviewed years ago. He also wrote uh, "Make Money Now." You know, I read that book, and I was all excited about that book. And the commonality between those two books was the best way to get rich, the pathway to success is to give everything away. <laughs> I'm like, what? Uh, and you really, you really lived that life. How long did it take for you to learn that? Or, or did you get that from your early years working for nothing in the, in,
2: in the hall? Well, I, I, I guess they all converge like your experiences do, John. And when I think of people who had a profound influence on my life, there was a man I got to work with. So I do once in a while some uh, public speaking. And I agreed to do a, a series of uh, uh, talks but the, the primary reason I agreed to do it was an excuse to get to hang around with one of my other heroes. His name was Zig Ziglar. Oh yeah, sure. One yeah. of the great teachers of of, of the last generation or two. And what a
0: tremendous Christian man too. I love
2: that. Oh, fabulous guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to work with him in about a dozen different cities and I dragged a different one of my kids with me. And then when we did a, a date here in New York, uh, one of the great thrills of my life as a dad was Zig coming to the house for dinner before we worked together, and spending about three and a half, four hours with my wife and my three kids and my brother and his wife around our dining room table, just talking, and it was fabulous. But the the key message that you just lit onto, that Zig preaches, that all the others who are, really have a good sense of teaching people the path to success, and success is multi definitional, is, is Zig's line was. It's amazing how you get everything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want, yeah. and he, it comes through all of his teachings. Right. And uh, and and so when you asked me about or uh, about uh, our our celebration of life program, and you know what if it doesn't convert into a sale, it's a Zig Ziglar message. That is, as long as we help enough other people to have a good experience, get good interactivity with other people, have a learning experience, and as long as we're crafting the the environment where that happens, we'll get our fair share.
0: Well, for those of you who are wondering who we're talking about, I mean, Zig is spelled Z-I-G and Zigler is Z-I-G-L-A-R, I believe. That's uh, right.
2: And, yeah. and just go to YouTube. He's got yeah. a lot. You, yeah. you probably want to download them on your phone. So when you're sitting on an airplane, yeah. you just want to catch 15 minutes. I catch attitude from Zig. Yeah. Yeah. That,
0: you know, that's a, that's a great, uh, that's a great segue for something else I want to talk to you about. Uh, And you can be, if you go to Amazon, you'll be overwhelmed by all this stuff. So just, he's, Jim is right. Just start with, uh, uh, with, with, with YouTube. Um, I read a book recently, Jim, I want to get your comment on it. It, And it's called uh, steal like an artist. And you look at it and you're going, Oh gosh, should I read that book? You know, what do you, what do you mean steal like an artist? But basically what the book talks about is all of the great, uh, business people, all of the, all the great thinkers, they what they did was they they went and found a template that, of success that other people had had created, right? And then you copy as much of that as you you're not you're not trying to plagiarize a book or a song, but you copy as much of that as you can. You'll never get it right. But the process, right. the process of decoding what those really smart, successful, you can go all the way back to Marcus Aurelius if you're, or Jesus yeah. Christ if you want, copying all of, the, all of those people will get you to the to, to the place where you become a study of greatness and it ends up impacting your life. What do you think?
2: Well, I, I think you're right. I, I'll, I'll boil it down to the mundane. When, uh, when we're talking about marketing programs, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, one of the Things I'm excited that we're working on is a uh, Harry and David dinner of the month series. Right. Well, you know, we're not, I'm not a very creative guy. The people around me are creative, but I'm not. But I sure know a good idea when I see it. And I don't think there are new ideas. They're just recycled, repackaged for different circumstances. I remember we created a loyalty program hmm, probably 40 years ago, and back then, if I would go into a Dunkin' Donuts. They used to give you a card and you punch it, and after you had 12 punch, they gave you a free dozen Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. So we said, well, if it works at Dunkin' Donuts, so we used to mail out a card every time you bought something from us, we'd mail you out our card, and it would say, uh, save a dozen, get a dozen. So when you had a dozen of these cards, uh, you'd mail them back to us, and you, we'd give you a, a, a gift certificate for a dozen roses to, to send to whoever you like. And that was our loyalty program for the first dozen years. Now, not very creative, but thank you to the people at Dunkin' Donuts for coming up that, with that idea for us, you know. Yeah, so I think the ideas are around you. It's the yeah, lens in your glasses that helps you to see it. And as you say, deconstruct it and learn to blueprint it because the formulas are pretty linear and pretty easy. Uh, we just make them look a lot more complicated than they need to be. Yeah,
0: that's well said. You know, that's it's actually how I... I was not a, a sports, when I was hired at CBS Sports, I was not really a, a sports announcer by, by background.
2: Oh, we we noticed.
0: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure, I can find you plenty of evidence of that. I remember when you were an investigative reporter in New York, too. <laughs> That's right. You know, investigating cab drivers who were waiting. Their, their uh, but there was um, Terry O'Neill, who was uh, the guy, my my mentor at CBS Sports, he just said, he said, get as many tapes as you can of Jim McKay and do what he's doing, right? And it was yeah. the same, same thing you're talking about. How has your business changed? Um, uh, over, over, I mean, you had a cornerstone business for so many years. How have how have people's behaviors and you? I mean, you have a, a remarkable ability to track people's behaviors because you interact with them on a uh, on a retail and a personal basis, really, every single day. How have they changed over the last couple of decades?
2: Well, I'd say uh, a lot and not much at all. What I mean by that is uh, people's behavior, at the end of the day, the the good news for us is we wound up by accident in a business that helps people to express and connect. Uh, That it's all about the relationships. It's all about, so our our imitation of Maslow's theory of hierarchical needs is that it's air, uh, water, food, and social intimacy. Wow. Yeah. We all love and want. To, we, you know, when I worked in the home for teenage boys, and I had ten tough kids from ten circumstances. When I finally realized that they didn't want much more than hey, they wanted to know what the rules were. They wanted to know that they were going to be safe, that the rules were going to be evenly applied. Uh, they were going to try and break them, but they wanted to know that they were evenly applied and punishments were going to be evenly applied. At the end of the day, they wanted to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to feel love, dare I say, they wanted to love and be loved. And that's, you know, we're not going to stand on a corner and tell folks this, but that's what we all want. We all want people to like us, to feel connected, to feel a special relationship. You know, it's funny when you see, uh, if you're in your hometown, you're running around there in your uh, bicycle shorts there in the, in the, in the fancy uh, Beverly Hills and uh, and, and you see st- somebody every day sometimes you give a nod or a wave but if you see that same person in uh, in London when you're there in business you go out of your way to go go street and give them a hug hey how you been it's we all want to have that feeling of connectivity of of special relationship whether it's a the special wave you get from someone or someone always uh, has a special nickname that means something to the two of you from back when you were playing uh, soccer on uh, Long Island we we all crave that and so we're fortunate enough that we're in a business that helps people have more and better relationships, to express themselves. So that's the constant. What's changed is what they like to send. Who knew that uh, our uh, our fruit bouquets would be such a a popular item? Certainly, uh, I used to make them uh, 35 years ago. I didn't realize what a big success they'd be 35 years later. But the common characteristics is we all want to express ourselves and connect for the goal of having more and better relationships. And the the some things go in and out of style. So we have a range of products that uh, that some go out of style, some stay in style. Our our, uh, our, our fun bouquets, our fun bouquet collections are, are changing all the time by the what's what's new. We we seem to be doing a lot of things with emojis on them. We didn't do that 30 <laughs> years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, we talk about that a lot. Um, so put on your CEO, even your HR hat for for a moment. You know that what's it's a you know, it's a real uh, it's a real treat that we have you here. And they're going to be people who are looking for a job. You know, right now, what's the uh, what's the worst? What's the best thing you can do when you show up for a job interview with, let's say, with your company, for example?
2: Well, I think uh, I think what everybody's looking for. I have a, a board member. His name is Larry Zarin, and uh, he's been a uh, he's a great marketing guy. Uh, lives in St. Louis. Grew up here in New York, and we've been friends probably now for. 30 plus years. And uh, he said to me, uh, one time we were doing some interviewing, he said, you know, so many people make a mistake when they're selecting a job candidate. Let's say they're looking to hire some young person at a retail. And uh, mom uh, mom pulls up, uh, drops him off, at, out, and he jumps out the Range Rover. He comes in for the interview, and his hair is perfectly coiffed, and he's shy and can't make eye contact. And then your the next interview comes in, and he's already been in the store for for an hour uh, before time he's got a ponytail a ring and a little tat and he's already interacting with your customers and asking questions of the people behind the cash register and you say oh this guy's going to be a pain in the neck he said, his line is it's so much easier to get the co- to turn the car when it's already moving oh so look,
1: for somebody, some energy, look yeah. for somebody who has
2: some energy look for somebody who has some get up and go now people as old as i am remember before cars had power steering and right. so yes that was true that it's easy to get it's easier to steer something than to get it started so look for some people who've done things, who've made mistakes, who have a, a bit of a personality and maybe a little bit of a self-deprecating personality.
0: Yeah. We've also talked about, you know, don't show up in flip-flops and, and with a with a with a Starbucks in your hand either.
2: No. Yeah. <laughs> Good way to end it quickly. What? Or, or if the first thing they ask about is, tell me about your benefit program.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Um What's what led you to uh, to give back in the in the world of healthcare and specifically cancer? How did you how did you end up buying, and 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 children's cancer? How did you end up getting there?
2: Well, uh, unfortunately, none of us are without the experience in our families. Uh, I don't, I can't find anyone who doesn't have those experiences. So when you're in an opportunity when you can help, you know. So I've been involved with uh, our hospital systems here now. I guess, all of my professional life because they're always looking for business people in the community who can bring not only some money, but some uh, community activity, some extra involvement. And uh, for us, it, it's pretty selfish. Uh, you know, we, we employ a lot of people. And uh, unfortunately, so much of, of uh, good health care is good access. Uh, you were fortunate enough to be able to look around the country to find where could you get the best treatment right. and not everybody has that opportunity so we my brother and i our family here think that it's our responsibility a to be involved the selfish aspect of that is if we're involved uh we can always do for hours for our people so when when uh, when someone comes back from uh, easter break with a terrible uh interim diagnosis and they need to see a specialist quick Fortunately, we can make that happen that day or the next morning uh, and not have to wait the four or five or six weeks they were originally told. Right. So for us, it's A, we want to be involved to make a difference. And B, selfishly, we want to be able to provide access because it's so critically important for the wonderful uh, thousands of people we have working with us.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, I like to ask this of, uh, of, of high level people because uh, I've, I've copied a few of them already. Uh, what does your morning look like every day?
2: Well, my morning, uh, I travel about half the time, uh, so uh, I have a, a routine pretty much if I'm on the road or not, which is if I fall, I fall out of bed and do my push-ups right away. So uh, if I really have to go to the bathroom, I better be quick about it. That's <laughs> and, great. Uh, so, so for me, it's get up. I have my exercise routines and my reading routines uh, that, I, uh, that I do every morning, whether I'm on the road or at home. It's a lot easier, of course, when I'm at home. And uh, then I, 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 I'm i a list crazy person. So I have all kinds of lists. And now technology allows me to keep track of them all. So I have a, a different list of different priorities, and different things I'm working on. I do those in the evening. Uh, and then as soon as I'm done with all my reading in the morning and the notes I've made in terms of catching up on periodicals and sales reports and stuff, the things I go through every morning, some while I'm working out, some after. And then I just update my list and make sure my priorities are set for the day. And then I'm off.
0: Okay, you're going to have to tell me what apps you're using, though. Do you remember what they are? Pardon me? What, what applications you're using for your lists?
2: Well, I do it all in, uh, I'm almost all in Outlook now, and there's a whole yeah. reminder system that we've uh, customed in my uh, Outlook. So it's on my phone, it's on my iPad, it's on my desktop. It, it's in the cloud, so it's with me all the time.
0: Are you a type A personality? Are you, uh, are you, are you all the way to ADD? Um, how would people describe you?
2: I, I wouldn't say type A, but there's traces of ADD there. I have, I'm, I'm big on routines.
0: Right, right. You know, you, you mentioned get, jumping out of bed and doing uh, and, and doing push-ups. That's really sort of the um, Jocko Willick, uh, the Navy SEAL thing. That's you start your day with a win. How important is starting your day with a win to get you going?
2: Well, I, I, I love listening to him, uh, the, the things he has to say on his uh, podcast. and uh, He basically, he basically and- just shouts
0: at you, though. He doesn't really say
2: much. <laughs> <laughs> Do this. Get going. But he says it with great enthusiasm. Yes, right? I love it. And of course, uh, the famous admiral, uh, who's now the uh, chancellor of the University of Texas System, uh, who wrote the Navy SEALs book about start with a wind by making your bed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've shared I've shared that with my sons, my my in-law, you know, my my uh, my kids' spouses. Uh, it's required reading. We're now reading. Uh, uh, we I, I tend to torture them by read books, and we're all going to be get, getting together on such and such a date. So make sure your homework's done and we're all talking about the same subject. But I, I, I think it's extremely important to, I just had this conversation with my son yesterday, the, the, the one uh, child I have that works in, in the business, and he was talking about this project, and I, I, at the end I just said, just get going. You're gonna yeah, make mistakes, it's yeah. not gonna be perfect, but you know, don't wait, you know, he said to me, well, we have to get this software done, and I showed him the pad, and I showed him the pen, and I said, you know, this is a new kind of technology. Draw a line this way, draw a line that way, and get going. People will catch up with you, but you can't design it to perfection before you test it. Get it in the field, see what happens. You'll learn as you go. Make mistakes, break some eggs.
0: That is the best advice, you know. And they, they, that's they, if you read the book called The Pixar Way. Uh, it's all about that. It's about to you know get yes. busy and fail quickly and figure yes. out, you know, really figure out what works. So it's 1970. 677 I'm anchoring the news at WCBS TV in New York and next to me is a, is a sportscaster uh, and uh, there's it's, the producers had made him mad because he really he was a, he was a real diehard you know sports fan and he wanted enough time to do his thing and so it was a big argument with this producer who was a jerk and so this guy this this retired sports figure picks up a electronic a electric typewriter which weighs about I don't know 40 pounds. And he throws it, he pitches it through the wall, goes all the way through the wall into the bathroom. And we're all like, oh my gosh, I'm never arguing with this guy. Well, the guy, the guy was Ron Swoboda from the Mets. And I, I became a Mets fan. I grew up a Mets fan, but I became a Mets fan My, you know, my, uh, from that point on, scared of, of him, but a huge Mets fan. What, did, did you have a dream uh, when you were a kid of owning a part of the Mets like you do now?
2: No, no, I couldn't have imagined it. But... Uh... It's one of the many uh, joys in life. You know, I grew up in Queens, so yes, we were Met fans. Uh, I will confess to you that uh, I skipped school for the first time to be there opening day at Shea Stadium in the rain with Casey Stingle at the microphone. Got grounded for most of the summer as a result of that. So yes, always been a Met fan. So when, you know, uh, Mary Lou and I are uh, friendly with uh, Fred and Judy Wilpon, the principal owners of the Mets, and uh, we love them and we love the time we get to spend with them. And when he uh, approached me, we, we were chatting about different opportunities that he might have or different challenges at that time he had. He invited me to think about becoming one of the uh, investors in the in the Mets. So it was a small investment. It was a wonderful thing to be able to do. Primarily it was because uh, we as a family, we're a close family. I'm the oldest of five. We've all worked in the business. All our kids, our grandkids now and nieces and nephews. So we get together, we talk about shop. Now we talk a little bit about the Mets too, but when we can get together at the game and we bring my brothers and sisters and their spouses and their kids and the next generation, they're all running around with Mets jerseys on, and the, the little ones have their uh, uh, waving their pom poms, and you get forty of us in a in a big box, and we get to hang out in the outfield uh, before the game. I tell you, as a as a dad, as a granddad. Uh, as a brother, uh, it doesn't make you feel any better than that when everyone's around and we have a common interest and a rooting interest. And that's what we all do as fans, and we get to have a little extra glue and stickiness. In fact, as you know, spring training is just a couple of days away, and uh, I'll be making a, a pilgrimage down there. Uh, uh, last year, took my two sons down. We're hanging around. We're watching the players. We get to walk around the, uh, the practice fields in Port St. Lucie, watching the Mets get ready, getting excited about this pitcher and how his change-up is working. That's and we good. talk baseball all weekend. We get to the airport. We get home from the airport. And we're, all, we're going three different directions. We have a little hug saying, hey. I said to my son, I said, this is a good weekend. And my youngest says to me, dad, this wasn't a good weekend. This is a great weekend. Oh, that's now, so cool. We don't get to do that as much because now they have kids. But I can't wait. And it's soon. May not be this year, but certainly next year when I get to take the grandkids down. Oh, that's
0: so good. Yeah, I, we have uh, three, just three grandkids now and you know what it's taught me and I'd love to get your opinion on this is that I'm not, I, I haven't in the past been a very mindful person. I'm just like, where's, where's the next dragon to slay? And they, because there's, you know, I mean, our, our littlest, the one-year-old should be here shortly, you know, and you just have to stop. It would be the end of this interview. You, know I mean? <laughs> you just have to stop everything. Has it caused you to be even more
2: mindful than you were before? Very much. Yeah. Just today. Uh, just today, uh, it was yesterday, Uh, I got home and my uh, I I spoke to my wife before I got home to tell her I I would be home late. And uh, she said, uh, you know, our oldest is a granddaughter, Abigail, she's nine. And she said, uh, you know, Abigail's in a school play, uh, class play tomorrow. And uh, she kept a secret from her dad that she had a speaking role in the play. And now she's very upset because he's a very successful uh, banker. And he's at a, uh, some meetings in London, and he couldn't get the flight out. So he was going to be flying back today, but he wasn't going to ba- be back in time for the play. Uh, and she's, she's quite upset. I said, Mary Lou, we're there. She said, You didn't even look at your calendar yet. This is a busy time of the year for us. So uh, I said, uh, Let me call Patty, Patty, the ruler of my world, the organizer of everything. I said, Patty, work your magic, move things, but I'm going there first thing in the morning. So I was the first one there today. The, uh, the hall monitor and I got in a little uh, scuffle because she said I was there too early. <laughs> but uh, I, we were there in a first row. got any station. power there, man, with the hall <laughs> monitors in charge. No leverage. We know who's in charge. And she showed me my, uh, my way. <laughs> but I was there this morning, and it was magical, all these kids, and they're singing a song, and they, were, they did a, a, a waxed, uh, wax museum kind of thing. So then after they do their play, you go into the cafeteria, and they're all historical figures. Oh. They all have a press, a press me here button, and you hit their button and they have to tell you their story. It was cute as could be. So yeah, I, uh, I remember guilt about not being around enough in the early years for my kids because I was just working like a crazy person. Yeah. But now I have, I have different priorities.
0: That's great. Well, it sure has been great talking to you, and it's been it's been inspiring. I know it'll be inspiring to other other people too. Thank thank totally you. Certainly
2: perspiring.
1: <laughs> Obviously, that was one of the most. First of all, thank, thanks for everybody for listening. That was Jim McCann, CEO of One Eight Hundred Flowers, uh, among other things. I mean, he's a philanthropist. Obviously, he's part owner of the Mets. Uh, all of which is incredible, and, and there was so much that I, I didn't know. What I love so much about it is he just kind of was like, "Hey, can I learn the flower business?" And he starts learning the flower business while he's a bartender, and all of a sudden, he just finds a way with it, with the perseverance thing again to turn that into the the most important flower business in, in in our century.
0: Yeah, and he's got better things to do than than to than to talk to us. So I think it's I think does it's, he yeah does yeah, he? yeah it was it was great to uh, and you know what happens and I I, I had this happen to me. When I was doing uh, this thing called one-on-one back in uh, mm-hmm. back when, back when I met your mom, uh, you know, in, interviewing uh, high-level uh, personalities, and you you end up asking people like this the questions you want answers to in your own life. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, uh, it's, it's it's incredible,
1: really- and I just I loved. Obviously, I listen to this stuff all the time for for uh, for work. So I, uh, but every once in a while, an interview like this comes along that I listen to again and again and again. We've we've done podcasts before that I listen to on repeat, and this is this is now one of them. This interview uh, to to inspire myself. So if you guys like this and you want to let us know that you like this, you can hit us up on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash John Tesh, or you can hit me up, Facebook.com/slash Gib Gerard. Uh, I'm all, it's also at John Tesh, J-O-H-N-T-E-S-H on Twitter. I'm at Gib Gerard on every platform. So if you want to come find us, see what we look like in person, or just tell us how much you love or hate our podcast or our show, that's where you can do it. And if you do like our show, please rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Intelligence for Life, the podcast, and tell your friends about it because we like doing this. We like having access to interview these amazing people. And we would like to keep doing it. And we need you to tell your friends about it for us to be able to keep doing it.
0: Well said. We'll see you next time.